0: Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 for the morning. We're kind of a third of the way through the series. There's 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes. Are you enjoying the series so far? I am as well. It is challenging me. It is centering me. It's been really good for me personally. There hasn't literally been a week that's gone by since we started the series that I haven't receive like a text message or a phone call or an email from someone saying to me, oh my gosh, Ecclesiastes is my favorite book, literally for like five weeks in a row, to which I'm always asking like, well, well why? Why is it? And some of the responses uh, is this, like it's just, it's just real. It's just authentic and raw and real. It's like real talk for us. And so that's been really refreshing for us. Uh, we've talked about this already. It's, it's centering me. We We tend to uh, get caught up in so many secondary, tertiary things, and they're important. It's not that they're unimportant, but we get caught up in so many things that keeps us away from centering ourselves in the main thing. And so Ecclesiastes is really helpful, I believe, in centering us and keeping the main thing the main thing. Uh, And so since we're kind of a third of the way through, let me kind of summarize where we've been the last four weeks together. And I'm just gonna give you a. here we go. Is that me or was that me or you, Jeff? That was me. Okay, sweet. Uh, I'm gonna summarize each chapter with one sentence. So this, this will be my like summary sentence, a sermon in a sentence on the first four chapters. Chapter one, uh, life is a breath. That that Hebrew word we've been talking about, heibel, hebel, h e b e l, typically translated meaningless or vanity. It actually means breath or vapor. Life is hyble, life is short, life is a breath. Uh, So let's live into it, but live into this hyble with eternity in mind. Uh, We know and understand that in life, we're not going to get all the answers that we want or need. We're not always gonna get the clarity and the hyble reality of our lives. God isn't asking you to figure it all out. He's inviting you to trust in his sovereignty. Live into Hebel with eternity in mind, chapter one. Chapter two, life is gift. Life is gift, not gain. In the end, in the end, achievements and personal pleasures simply do not last. That is a theme that reoccurs over and over and over again throughout the course of the book. God's gift is joy not circumstantial happiness. Life is gift, not gain. Chapter three, God makes everything beautiful in his time. Somehow, way, in the sovereignty of God, God restores, redeems everything. We are bound, you and I, we are bound by our time here. We are finite. We are bound by time, but God is not. God endures forever, therefore all will be made well. All manner of things will be made well. And then chapter four, last week, my friend Jody uh, spoke, uh, summarizing chapter four, the antidote to oppression is to open our eyes and see and build relationship. The antidote to oppression is relationship. Uh, this famous line from Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one, Three are better than two. Four are better than three, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, not me. If God's gift is joy, not circumstantial happiness, chapter two, chapter four, if you want to be found, if you want to be found, find someone that needs love, support, help. Like joy, the joy in life is we, not not me. I think about the first four chapters, and certainly it's about our our following God, wisdom and in, in life and God and following God, but it, it, it's, it's a bit more, it's kind of spoken to us uh, individually uh, in terms of receiving, receiving from, from God and how we rest in God and how, how we can live and and how, how we can serve others as we transition into chapter five. Chapter five gets us all into the sanctuary together. So chapter one, two, three, and four is giving wisdom to us in our in our walk with God, in our journey with God. And chapter five is really like: here we are all we're here we are now all together in the sanctuary, in the assembly of God's people. And this would be my summary sentence in chapter five. Draw near to listen. As we come into the house of God, as we come into the sanctuary together, draw near to listen, let your words be few. The teacher will help peel back some of the posturing and help us get to a place of more raw authenticity. It's it's real talk. The words from the teacher in this chapter are challenging and strong. I'm being challenged by the words of wisdom in chapter five because I, I just I got a lot of words. I got I don't know if you know this or not. I got a lot of words. I got a lot of words. And if you uh, want to talk to Lindsay or my kids about this, they will tell you. If you want my opinion about something, I'll give it to you because I got an, I got an opinion about everything. And so, listening, letting your words be few. It's been personally challenging for me and I think about coming into God's sanctuary receiving grace mercy in our time of need let us approach with confidence it is it is celebratory amen it is joy filled when we come it is hope filled when we come but it's not willy-nilly silly it's celebratory It's hope-filled. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. Uh, We worship God. We come in with confidence. Certainly all that is true, but when we come into God's sanctuary, it is not willy-nilly silly. Remind you of some words that the teacher told us in chapter 3, verse 14, it is wise to revere God. Just so you know, I'm going to cover only the first seven verses of chapter 5. Chapter 8 and on in, chap- in chapter 5 really is kind of connected more to chapter 6. I think all that goes together better. And so we're just going to cover the first seven chapters today. So a, a smaller kind of swath of scripture for us to look at this morning in terms of like, what, it, what does it mean for us to come together into God's sanctuary ready to listen And embracing the challenge, let our words be few. So with that said, let's read Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7 together. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes, when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool, when there are many words, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless a breath, a vapor. Therefore, stand. In awe of God. This is the word of God for us this morning. I wonder if you've ever heard this statement before. Quote, It is better to remain silent and to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Have you ever heard that quote before? If you Google that quote, what you'll find is most people attribute it to Mark Twain or to Abraham Lincoln. But I found it on the Google search this week with that quote that some attribute it to Lisa from The Simpsons as well. So I don't really know where the quote comes from. But I think it's probably best to attribute it, the sentiment of that quote, to wisdom literature, Proverbs 17. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold If, if they, if they can, can you, can I? If we can hold our tongues. Question, do you ever have a hard time keeping silent and holding your tongue? Maybe on I-25. Maybe at the CSU game last night when it was that fourth and one, and he actually literally made the first down, and they didn't give it to him. And the people around me were literally losing their minds. I like, I had all my notes. I'm at the game. I mean, it, it, was like, it was a bad call. And these people around me, they were like serious Ram fans. Anybody at the game last night, by the way? Have you ever been to a game with three halftimes? It was like two lightning delays and halftime. It was like 9 p.m. in the third quarter, and the game started at 5 or something. Anyway, I'm literally watching all of these words happening and... You know, people that are passionate about fans, let's just say they don't let their words be few. And I'm like, this is Ecclesiastes 5. Like, I'm just living in this reality right now. And I am also prone to that. I did it last night. Listen, I I have to confess, I'm not a huge CSU fan. But I live in Fort Collins, therefore I am a CSU fan. You know what I'm saying? But I am a fan of my daughters when they play soccer. So I am prone to have words. When rests make bad calls. But I'm working on it, Steve. I am working on it. I am working on it. Any of you out there ever let something slip off the tongue? And as soon as it leaves your mouth, you think, oh, no. Anybody? Anybody? Maybe just me. Maybe just me. Anybody? Yeah. Oh, if I could just pull that back in. The New Testament book of James has much to say about speaking many words and the dangerous realities of our tongues. I'll quote three, three statements from James. The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Everyone must be quick to listen, slow to, uh, so hard, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. Would Would you agree with me that our many words can get us into trouble sometimes. Verse 3, the speech of the foolish are many words, challenging, strong. Our, Our many words, they can keep us from like really listening. Would you agree? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and it's like a really good conversation and you're sharing stories and there's, there's engagement, but the person is telling you a story and whatever they're telling you is making you think of something in your story and you stop actually listening to them because you're already thinking about what you're going to say next. Or you're in more of, like a, more of a tense conversation with someone, your spouse, perhaps a roommate, and you're working through something, and they're saying something, and you're already thinking about your comeback, and so you can't really hear what they're saying because you're already thinking about what you're going to say next. Maybe, maybe it's just maybe it's just me in the room. Our many words they keep us from listening. Our many words keep us from unity. Well, you, well, I can't hear you talk about what I need to be responsible for because I'm so. Include into you, you, and my defensive statements and my you statements keep me from a place of unity with you because of all my words. Maybe it's just me. Our many words keep us from authenticity, dodging, weaving, posturing. Our many words keep us from personal responsibility, blaming, playing the victim. James offers strong, challenging words about our many words, and he's speaking to believers, to followers of Jesus, and the teacher in Ecclesiastes 5 is speaking to believers, followers of God about our many words, and wisdom is saying to the people of God when they come into the house of God, into the sanctuary of God, drawing near to listen is better for you and me and us. So let your words be few. In the context of the passage, it's actually the religious person who is acting in foolishness. They think they have all the answers, and they're offering all these words and sacrifices. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's good and fine. And throughout the entire Bible, from the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament apostles, there is consistent correction of those who are oppressing their neighbor, those who are serving only themselves, and yet show up at church saying, everything is fine. And the preacher or the teacher in Ecclesiastes wants to look this dead in the eye and says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen Rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they're doing wrong. Coming in with a lot of words and a lot of sacrifices and a lot of posturing over time creates a normalcy for how we do these gatherings. And when the religious charade becomes normal, we don't even know that it's wrong. Church hurt anyone? What we need, what I need, what we need, what I believe, what we, what we need is we need a safe place for some real talk, some real space to talk about not how you're doing, but how are you doing really? That's a different question, you know. A safe place to actually give that an honest answer because you believe that the atmosphere of the sanctuary of God is an atmosphere of grace. And so that with confidence, I can come with others who also need mercy, who also need grace to the throne of grace. And I don't have to posture myself so that you think I'm something that I'm not when I really know that I'm not. And so I'm just and so if a culture can become that we we can shake off some of that religious posturing that I believe that the teacher is speaking to us about. And we can come in and fellowship, and we can come in and worship, and we can come in to God's word, and we can receive the teaching of God's word that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like a surgeon's scalpel that will bring healing, actual healing to our lives so that we can be corrected and trained in righteousness. God's word helping us see what we can't see. God's word helping us hear what we can't hear so that we can be healed I turned 50 in May and I promised myself in May when I turned 50 I was like "All right, I'm going to go to a doctor because I haven't been to a doctor in like 15 years so I'm going to go get a physical and I promised myself that I would do it and I didn't want to do it and I don't want to do it again but I did it (laughs) I did it and the reason why I felt really kind of stirred in my own spirit to go to it, my dad had a carotid artery stroke when he was 50. And so I, I, I just need to go in and get all the poking and the prodding and all the things. And I was like, this feels like disaster, but I'm gonna go do it. And I faint at needles, straight up. Totally faint at needles. So I'm like totally petrified about it. Lindsay gives me no sympathy about it, by the way. She's just toughing up. But I go in and I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get my blood drawn. And the first thing that happens is like they weigh me or whatever. And the lady that's going to take my blood, the other lady is like, I'm training her. And I was like, oh, no, 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 not with me. I'm not the guy to be training on a blood draw. And she's like, no, no, no. Like she's been doing this nine years. She's this a new employee. So I'm going to, I'm just, you know, kind of watching her and training her. She's going to go. Take your blood in just a moment. I was like, Well, I'm gonna need her and I'm gonna need you. So I need her to draw the blood and I need you to talk to me and I need you to bring me some juice to drink right after it. (laughs) High maintenance, high maintenance. But I did it and I didn't pass out, you guys. I overcame. It was a wonderful. I still don't ever wanna get blood drawn again. I literally am sweating right now thinking about it. I have a problem. I have a problem. I was also, like, totally kind of tripping a little bit with, you know, you the blood pressure. And, and then he, they still do the, ah, ah. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're still doing this. It's amazing. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea. It's been, like, a long time. And then he took out his stethoscope, you know, like, breathe, did it here, did it on my back. And then he put it on my neck. And I'd never had that done before. And he was listening, and I just go, why do doctors do that? They listen to what we can't hear ourselves so that we can learn the truth about what's going on on the inside of us. And I think about Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7, and it seems a bit like that. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7, a a spiritual stethoscope, if you will, an opportunity, these challenging strong words. Perhaps they make us feel a little uncomfortable, like I'm a little uncomfortable going to get a physical because of all the things, strong and challenging, but they help us. These words, they help us hear what we can't hear and they help us see what we can't See, so that we can learn the truth about our insides. Like when I showed up at the doctor's office, I certainly didn't think I had all the answers. That's why I'm going to the doctor's office so that I can get some answers. Am I I doing okay? Am I good? Is there anything going on that I'm not aware of? And I certainly don't wanna show up at church thinking I have all the answers. I wanna show up with, a hunger for God's word and a, and a thirst for God's spirit. I wanna show up humble and ready to receive what God might have for me so I can learn and grow and change so that I can be healthy and have wisdom and a biblical perspective and a biblical hope in my life. I don't wanna show up with my own words in the sanctuary of God, I want to show up ready to receive what are God's words for me today. And here's what the teacher says. Go near. Go near. When you're, when you're, when you're coming here, go near. Go near. Come into this place to listen. Do not be quick. With your words or your mouth, God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Is there a stronger statement in the scripture about who we are and who God is? Like God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Chapter 5, I think, helps us hear and see what's on the inside. It gives us a vision for true and authentic corporate worship. So humble yourself when you come and listen for God to speak to you. And he will, and he will speak. He will speak. Do you, do you believe that God is always speaking? Or do you just think that sometimes God is speaking and sometimes God is silent? Because some it feels that way sometimes, if we're honest. Like sometimes it feels like God is speaking and sometimes it just really feels like God is silent and I don't feel God's presence and I don't feel like God is speaking to me. I just wanna, I wanna assure you this morning that this, this book is life. It is living and active. It's a light to your feet, a lamp to your path. And I believe and proclaim to you that God is always speaking to you in his word, always speaking. My friend Greg, when he has an opportunity to teach, I've heard him say this, and I concur with the statement, if God will use me in this pulpit to stir up the wonder of God's amazing grace, and a hunger for his word out of this place, then my prayers are answered. I don't don't pretend to believe that you're going to remember everything that I say. I don't pretend to believe that you might remember anything that I say. But if this time together and this gathering moves you in some way toward Being in God's living and active word a little more than my prayers are answered. Truly. Like, you and I can open God's word. We can read God's word. We can study God's word. And when we're reading God's word and we're studying God's word, God is speaking. So, church, listen. Listen. Some of you are familiar with the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter six, and some of you probably aren't, that's okay. The Shema is the centerpiece of daily morning and evening prayers in Judaism. It was spoken in Deuteronomy six to Israel after their 40 years of wilderness wandering. Right before, right before they're going into the promised land, God uses Moses to speak what's become known as the Shema over Israel. The first verse of the Shema is among the best known of all of Jewish liturgy. And here it is. Hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The first word of the most best-known liturgy of all of Judaism, they say it daily, morning, evening. The first word is hear or listen. Do whatever you have to do to get yourself in a posture to listen to what God is saying. So often for me, perhaps for you, instead of listening, I'm so prone to offer so many words and even to like make vows before God to prove to Him how serious I am. And we say things like, Well, I promise God, if you just if you get me out of this gym, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. One of the commentators that I'm reading in the series made the statement uh, that vows like the teacher are talking about in verses four to six. Uh, When we read things like this in verses 46 about making an oath or a vow before God, those those things are never commanded in Scripture in the Old or the New Testament. Like making a vow or making a a promise or, or an oath before God is never commanded. It is permitted, but where it's permitted, it always follows with this. But if you make a vow, fulfill it. It is better to not make a promise, to not make a vow, to not go back and fulfill it. It would be much better for you to never promise anything. If you're gonna make a vow, fulfill it. But it's never commanded in Scripture. The commentator made this statement, and I thought it was a pretty provocative statement. It's like, that's really interesting to think about. Vows, quote, vows, oaths, and swearing all exist because we're untruthful. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, those three chapters is the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching about the way of the kingdom of God to the Jewish people. And one of the statements in the Sermon on the Mount is this, I say to you, do not make an oath at all. Let what you simply say be yes or no. It's like, in other words, like be the kind of person that doesn't need to make vows and oaths at all. Be the kind of person that is so trustworthy that simply saying yes or no is enough. The teachers inviting us to a place of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 5, many words are meaningless, so let your words be few. Therefore, stand, stand in awe of God. Go near to listen. Stand in awe of God. Worship team, you guys can come back up and be ready to lead us. Some of you, I believe and think and know, are desperate today. You're desperate today to hear from God. Life is overwhelming you. There are more questions than answers for you, more anger than peace. More posturing, perhaps, than authenticity. Therefore, stand, stand in awe. Go near and listen for what God has for you. You need his words. You need his words. You need his truth. You need his joy. You need his peace. Therefore, stand in awe. Go near to listen. You don't don't understand my problem, Swain. God doesn't seem to be speaking, speaking at all. What do I do when God seems so silent? I I don't understand your problem. But I do, I do know what it's like to feel so overwhelmed that I don't even know if I have faith anymore. And I know what it was like for my pastor to say to me in those moments, you stand with me, son, And you borrow my own faith. And so, that may be where you are today. And I don't understand. But I'll stand with you. And you can borrow my faith in this season. Because Hebrews 4 says, let us, let us come to receive mercy. Let us go together to have an encounter with the grace of God. Let us, let the church, let the ecclesia, let the people, let us stand in awe of God. You know, it doesn't say grovel. It doesn't say let us grovel, right? It doesn't say that. It says stand. It's like in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah was being invited in to have a, an encounter with the very presence of God and he made the statement like I'm a man of unclean lips. And an angel goes to the altar, takes a coal, touches Isaiah with it and says, "Your sin is atoned for, stand in awe." So we receive that mercy in that moment, and we stand to receive what God has for us. God is always speaking. God is always speaking. So let us draw near. God never leaves us or forsakes us, so let us draw near. God is always with us, Emmanuel, so let us draw near. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, so let us draw near. Let us stand in awe, amen? Would you stand with me? Typically, in this moment, I would offer a prayer over you and we would sing. But we're gonna do something just a little different uh, today. I just want, I wanna give you some space to just stand in awe. I wanna give you some space to stand in awe. I wanna give you an opportunity to let your words be few to draw near to listen to receive what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you in these moments of quiet together and then after a few moments our worship team will continue to lead us in worship let us stand in awe together let us approach the throne of grace together let us receive mercy